Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we live in a place where uh, it can be said with great exaggeration that everybody's a Christian. There's a church on every corner. Christ is in the water. And yet, Heavenly Father, we understand him and know him only partially. And the obedience is flagging and weak in us, your saints. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that our familiarity with Jesus, our familiarity with the church, would not breed indifference in us, but that Holy Spirit, you would stir in us affection and attraction, that we might actively and daily pursue your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and find life, find grace for our sin. That that grace would not be cheap to us, but would be life-giving. It would motivate us. That all of our life would be lived in joy as a response to your grace and kindness to us in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit, stir our affections. Scattered as we are, come into each of our homes, each of our living rooms. Come into this place now. Stir our affections, that we would have ears to hear, that we would not consider Christ according to the flesh alone, but according to his fullness, fully God and fully man. Help us to see him. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This Sunday will be our last Sunday in Matthew 13. It is not, however, the last Sunday in Epiphany. That's next Sunday. But the last Sunday in Epiphany is when we celebrate the transfiguration of our Lord. And so next Sunday we will leave the gospel according to Matthew and turn instead to Mark's gospel to visit the story of Jesus' transfiguration. This morning, though, we have one last story to hear Jesus tell about his kingdom in Matthew 13. As in previous stories, he uses a simile to tell it. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. That's it. It's a brief story. And admittedly, it's not so much a story about the kingdom itself as it is a story about the scribes trained for the kingdom. But who are these people, these scribes trained for the kingdom? It's not explicitly clear. But it is significant that Jesus is most likely speaking privately with his disciples here. Throughout Matthew 13, there's a pattern that develops where Jesus tells a story to a large crowd without explanation. But in private, he explains the meaning of that story to his 12 disciples. It appears that this is one of those private tutoring moments because Jesus poses the question in verse 51, have you understood these things? That is not a question he ever asked the large crowds. To the large crowds, Jesus would merely say, he who has ears, let him hear. 
but to his disciples he would ask, do you understand? So there, therefore, this, this seems most likely like a, a private conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And in this private conversation, he is describing for them the work of a scribe. This is no ordinary scribe, but a scribe specifically trained for the kingdom of heaven. A scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure things that are new and things that are old. This is a new kind of scribe. And it appears that Jesus articulates this job description for them because he is preparing them, his disciples, to be scribes trained for the kingdom of heaven. There is no indication that any of the 12 apostles were professionally trained to be scribes in the technical sense of that word. However, they certainly would have had a knowledge of scribes that Jesus could use to illustrate the difference for them between a scribe in the technical sense and the the kind of scribe he had in mind, a scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven. We unfortunately don't even have the familiarity with the scribal occupation in the technical or traditional sense. And so we must first learn about the scribal tradition before we can understand the difference and significance of a scribe specifically trained for the kingdom of heaven. A scribe in the Jewish tradition was a copyist. Without carbon paper or copy machines, scribes were the only means by which copies were made in the ancient world. Scribes would carefully copy word for word a document that was valuable enough to warrant preservation. It was tedious work. And when it came to copying sacred texts, there were stringent guidelines. One scholar points out that Each column of writing could have no less than 48 and no more than 60 lines. The scribes were required to say each word aloud while they were writing. There was a mandated review of the document within 30 days. And if as many as three pages required corrections, then the entire manuscript had to be redone. The letters, words, and paragraphs had to be counted. And the document became invalid if two letters touched each other. Even the spacing of the copy was required to match the original so that the middle paragraph, word, and letter on the page was the same for both. And these guidelines created an intimacy and familiarity with the text that must have been unparalleled. Scribes would have had large portions of scripture memorized merely because they had read, written, and spoken it aloud so many times. They were masters of the text. The text was a world they inhabited. It was the water they swam in. They knew exactly where they could find what they were looking for. Just like you know where all the utensils are in your kitchen. And where that specific tool you need can be found in your garage. Jesus speaks to his disciples as scribes in his private conversation with him. Because in his kingdom, every one of his disciples must seek to possess an intimate and working knowledge of the Bible because it's, it's in the Bible that we learn about ourselves. We learn about God and we learn about his work of redemption in the world. We must all be scribes if we are going to know, love, and follow Jesus Christ as he has made known to us in all of scripture, new and old. 
Jesus' disciples are called to be familiar with the Bible for ourselves. We're called to read it, to speak it aloud, to write it down and memorize it. It is to inform the way in which we pray and worship, live and die. Paul writes in 2 Timothy that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that everyone belonging to God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The scripture is to be the water in which the disciples of Jesus Christ swim. There is great benefit from reading them. But are you reading it with any regularity? Are you a scribe? More specifically, are you a scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven? A scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure things that are new and things that are old. And it's this mixture of of new and old that distinguishes a scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven. What is this idea of, of newness and oldness? You must remember that Jesus was a Jew speaking to Jews. They did not have the New Testament. Scripture for them was what Christians call the Old Testament, which largely recounted the relationship between God and the nation of Israel, specifically the promises he had made to them. But in Jesus Christ, a new thing was happening. The prophet Isaiah foretold it. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? The promises of God to the people of Israel were going to be fulfilled and greatly expanded in Jesus Christ. God was doing something new in him. The author of Hebrews remarks on this transitioning, transition in his opening. Long ago, he says, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus marks a change in the way God relates to humanity. He marks a change in the way God fulfills his promises. But you cannot understand Jesus fully if you do not read about him in light of the Old Testament. The new is anemic without the old. Neither will you know him truly if you do not allow Jesus to fulfill and expand the Old Testament in unexpected and imaginative ways. The old is hopeless without the new. The Old Testament gives gives significance to the New Testament. And the New Testament expands upon the promises of the Old Testament in in substantive and beautiful ways. In order to know Jesus truly, in order to be a scribe trained for the kingdom of heaven, you must be intimately acquainted with both the Old and the New Testament. The people who rejected Jesus were steeped in the promises of the Old Testament. But they did not have an imagination for the new ways in which God might fulfill his promises beyond the literalistic and nationalistic fulfillments they were anticipating. They had no imagination for a suffering savior or a multi-ethnic kingdom. But that's who Jesus was, and such is the nature of his kingdom. A perfect example of this lack of imagination for Jesus is God's promise of land to Israel. In Genesis, God promised Abraham a strip of land in the Middle East. But that promise was expanded in Jesus Christ so that all the children of Abraham by faith, Jew or Gentile, are heirs of not a strip of land in the Middle East, 
but an entire world made new. How much greater is that? Jesus took that promise as he did all the promises made to Israel in the Old Testament and he fulfilled it by stretching it beyond their wildest imaginations. His concern is not with a strip of land in the Middle East, but with an entire earth made new. And the fulfillment of God's promise of land would be as if a grandfather living just before the, the turn of the 20th century promised his granddaughter when she was five years old that he would buy her her very own horse and buggy when she was older so that she could go places on her own. But by the time his granddaughter had grown up, the automobile had been invented. And so he bought her a car instead. Did he fulfill his promise? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely he did. It would have been strange for the girl to still insist on a horse and buggy. She would, have insist, she would have missed out on the far greater fulfillment of her grandfather's promise when she was yet five. The new expands and improves upon the old promises. But the new is only properly understood in light of the old. And if we're to be scribes trained for the kingdom of heaven, then we must seek to become intimately acquainted with the Bible and seek to see Jesus in both the Old and the New Testament. The Bible is pointing to Jesus from cover to cover. It was not intended to be read as a, a, a mere book of heroes or a book of rules or even as a scientific textbook. It is his story. Sally Lloyd-Jones is the author of the brilliant Jesus Storybook Bible. If you do not have it for your kids, I would highly recommend it. And the introduction, which I believe I've quoted in sermons before, perfectly frames how we as Christians, scribes trained for the kingdom of heaven, must approach scripture. She writes this. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you or what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. Now, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything, to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. This young hero from a far country. This brave prince, this baby at the center of the story is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. He came for us in order to rescue us from ourselves and from our sin. We are his treasure. We are the one he loves. 
He came in grace rather than in judgment in order to give us more time to repent and to turn to him in faith. He came in perfection, yet died as a sinner so that sinners might be made perfect in him. He came to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven so that heaven and earth might be one again. And we learn about him in all his fullness and beauty by becoming intimately acquainted with the story he has given us, Old and New Testament. He is calling us to be scribes trained for his kingdom, ready to tell the world in beautiful ways that he was the lamb who was slain. He was the rock that was struck in the wilderness out of which flowed streams of living water. He was the snake lifted up in the desert to which the dying could look and be healed. He was present with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, not snatching them out of the fire, but walking with them through it. He is the seed that has crushed the serpent's head crushing Satan even as he died. He was the ram caught in the thickets to be sacrificed in your place. He is a better David, a better Abraham, a better Noah, a better Adam. In him we are saved and in him we have hope. And the Bible, Old and New Testament, is pointing to him. So let us return back to the word, lest we miss him. Lest like the people in his hometown, we allow our familiarity to breed contempt and indifference. Let us encounter the living Christ in the reading of his word. And like masters of a house, bring out treasures new and old for those who don't know him. Until every knee bows and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.